Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we continue our discussion on the egos and how it is that we can begin to work with this aspect of ourselves. Through investigation and identification arises the ability to diagnose our own psyche, tendencies, defenses, and life adaptations to aid in our ability to be free to choose how we act, not simply react. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey fellow Gene here, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. So um Daniel and I are back. We're talking about this idea of people having egos existential guardian operating systems yes this is sort of a coinage of daniels and uh we started a couple of weeks ago and this is sort of our follow-up episode to it so maybe the thing to start this off we decided off mic before this thing <laughs> before we started talking was maybe giving daniel a chance just to kind of give a brief summary of the idea again and then uh i think the focus will be how you start challenging this thing anyways i'll throw it over to you right yeah yeah so the idea sort of, you know, as, as, as we alluded to, or as I alluded to in the previous episode, came out of some books that I was reading, one of which was The Myth of Normal uh, by Gabor Mate that I've mentioned a few times now in several different uh, episodes that I read in December. He's like, he's like everywhere now, isn't he? Well, he's, he's had a really big media push with his new book. I mean, I feel yeah. like, you know, given his age, and he said that he needed COVID to write this previous one, that mm -hmm. this may end up being his last real significant work. You know, I mean, are, may you, uh, are you a follower of his in any major way? I mean, I know who he is. I have a general sense. I haven't. I quite like him. Uh -huh. I quite like him. You know, he is somebody who is a, you know, Western trained doctor, psychology kind of, you know, motivated individual, but then has really leaned uh, away from it, but not in, in, not in a disparaging way and actually in a more holistic way to say, oh, I know when you need something that you need that. You need chemotherapy that you, you, you got to go get that thing. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like do the work that's required for you to understand who you are as that process is occurring, you know, and unwind all of the things that are occurring while you're unwind all the various aspects of yourself while you're going through that treatment. And so he'll talk to people who are in chemotherapy or prisoners or whomever, and he'll talk to them about their trauma, come to find out they've never been asked about that before. And he's like, this is the failure. How can you spend time with somebody and not ask about this and say, oh, this prisoner is totally sane and has no childhood issues? Of course, the guy's going to say, I, I, you know, I didn't have any issues. Yeah, I was yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So he's like, this is looking at the obvious holes in the system and saying, OK, well, then that's a place where we could fill with something else. And here are some other alternatives like traditional medicine, you know, practices or ceremonies. And, and how can we take traditions from the ancient world? and use them today we just because they're not pre prevalent doesn't mean that like we have to throw out all of their medicine you know because we discovered penicillin 70 years ago you know what i mean well that's been kind of a mission statement of our lives right professionally yeah. you know because you like tcm doesn't mean that you don't think a surgical intervention could be good when it's warranted it's correct like and i guess the other part you're talking about is just the idea like there might you might have <clears throat> a huge population who no one ever asked them about their trauma because they never had the access to the kind of mental health that would care about the person enough to even ask them the question, right? Correct. Yeah, that there wasn't a part of the system to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and it, fair points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you're, you know, you're a general practitioner and you're seeing patients. How long do you have with people? Seven oh, yeah. minutes. You can't get into anything in seven minutes. Yeah, I actually, I haven't seen a Western GP in a while. But I they're not. Say, you like, know, it's been a long time since I had a meaningful conversation with one. Right, mm -hmm. and and that's the system. That's how the insurance company that pays them is designed the productivity. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's missing the 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 care 
in, you know, alternative care, holistic care, allopathic care is missing completely. Mm-hmm. So this is his, so that's, stance his base, and, that's his basic stance. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a, you know, and he's a practice. I mean, he has one of his book, one of his books is called like uh, the realm of the hungry ghost. So he's certainly highly, you know, Buddhist influenced. Buddhist you know? influence, yeah. Uh, maybe I, like, I, it's really funny because I put the dots together that he's Aaron Mate's father. Who's sort of like, yeah. Uh, you know, more of like a alternative journalist, you might say. I hadn't actually even connected that together in my mind. Yeah. But it happened because my daughter needed some materials for a, uh, a project she was doing up in, you know, undergrad her in one of her classes. And she just stumbled across across this interview with Gabriel Mate being interviewed by Aaron Mate. I went, holy shit. <laughs> I connected. I had no idea. Anyways. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I'll give him more of a tumble. Again, it's more like, just like, I know who he is, but I haven't really spent that deep of a time figuring out who he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for okay, our, so- for our audience, he's, you know, if, if you haven't checked him out, definitely worth, uh, Worth diving well, in. I mean, if we want to do it, I mean, we've been talking about doing things that are timely. If it's like this, this is a thing we could, I could listen to the book. We could do an episode on it maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll give some reactions. I'm thinking a lot about psychology. So we'll see how this comes up actually. Okay. You know, in this episode, I have like some, I've had some interesting conversations with multiple people <laughs> in the last 24 hours about what psychology actually is, but okay, mm. let's do it. Okay. Right. What's this ego thing? <laughs> so, you know, as we talked about last time, egos, E-G-O-S, E-G-O-S yeah, as, as, an, as an acronym, because uh, I couldn't make it work with ego. So I had to put the S and I was like, all right, fine. We'll speak in plural. Even if it's singular, it's fine. Our egos, uh, the existential guardian operating system. And and this is really what it, it's pretty, I think, self-explanatory. Like this is the 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 aspects or aspect or aspects of ourselves that is always on, that is sort of guarding ourselves in one way, shape or form, right? It can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be mental, it could be energetic, but it's sort of like the adaptive programming that is innate to the human, I think. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's it's learned, as in you learn it from your parents, from your teachers, from your aunts and uncles, from your environment. So when you say innateness, you mean like there's innate propensity to develop this and then it gets kind of ch- <clears throat> conditioned by the environment or something. Absolutely. So you can learn from the environment, but then it's innate as in like, it's part of our success as a species, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like people, oh, I want to, you know, transcend my ego. I want to blast off and kill the ego or whatever. It's like, that's why we're here is because that ability to maintain life, stay connected to the community of, you know, hunter gatherers, people in society now is why we're here. Because you're good at what you're good at, but you're not a hunter. You don't know how to make clothes. You you can't build a car. You don't know how to build a house. You know we so we 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 need each other in this way, and and the way in which that we work together, I think is important to be successful in our inter interpersonal communications and interpersonal relationships. Well, I guess this is part of what you've been trying to get to in a number of these conversations we have more lately, where you don't want to take a thing and just completely blast it because it has some functionality or something, Mm -hmm. or you don't want to get into a situation where you're just having people be completely negative on themselves in some way that really isn't fair. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Is that, is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah. And, and it goes, and it's a functionality to this thing too. It's not just, it's a high functionality that serves us completely negative thing. It served for a very long period of time actually, you know, because it, it it wasn't that long ago that people were in small societies, smaller societies, you know, smaller kind of tribes or hundred people, two, 300 people, whatever it was, you know, I mean, we have this idea that the, the way history is, is how the movies portray it, right. And some fiefdom somewhere, right. With the King and the blacksmith and the whatever, but like there weren't kingdoms everywhere that, that just, there's a few of them, but not that many. So there's far more tribes that there were, you know, and if you were, ostracized or you didn't get along with somebody or you're you know you didn't fit for whatever reason and you were kicked out of that culture or that tribe you're dead you're dead it's just a matter of time and not only do you die your genes die right so your ability to 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 move forward and stuff that's that's eliminated so it really was important for people to kind of like fit but as i think as society has grown and we have a, a much more of a larger network there really is no like ostracizing people to the point where they're going to leave society. That's kind of like jail or something like that at this point Mm -hmm. Um, that our need to have these sort of mechanisms within us is now becoming a detriment 
to our our communications, to our relationships with ourselves, with inside of us, and with each other, um, on a on a, on a functional way, you know. Yeah, yeah, kind of a, like um, you're talking about it in a different way than we did a couple of weeks ago. So I'm gonna process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what's the down? So what's the what's the downside now of that? Like why? In what ways would that become a negative? So in in about? in a negative way that like the ways in which you would maybe look at like defending yourself. So, so we'll look at two, we'll, we'll take two sides. One would be defense and one would be like minimiz- minimalization. Okay. Minimalization, meaning you want to make, you want to keep peace. Right. And, and I think for the most part, this tends to fall more on women than men. Um, and so they'll minimize themselves. They won't speak their mind. They will just sort of like swallow things and keep it on the inside so that things are kosher on the outside and that everybody's kind of happy, but really they're not, they're unhappy. Mm-hmm. And so even though we would say, oh, that's not your ego, because people always view the ego as like this aggressive kind of id version. Like we talked about last time with, uh, not oh, Freudian point of view. Yeah, with Freudian points, right? That's this attacking thing. It's it's also it's all of the things. I know that Freud thinks a bit of uh, the ego as an attacking thing, but that doesn't even matter from what you're saying. Right. I'm just saying like yeah. a very animalistic kind of id perspective. Uh huh. Uh huh. That the ego is managing the id or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so that's that's a minimalization part. And then the other part would be like the sort of attacking part, right? The the quick the quips and the insults and uh you know aggressiveness and things like this you know as like these are the kind of two sides that i, I feel okay so daniel when you again we were talking you're talking about this in a little bit of a different way mm. than what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago and you've had an interesting couple of weeks so you're probably just yeah. uh, processing shit in different ways so um daniel was uh uh off uh experiencing some medicine yeah 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 we were in we were in mexico yeah so um so what's the difference between this and sort of like maybe like what you might call like a persona? So I think that they're wrapped up inside mm-hmm. that one's persona has these aspects to it, but these were, you know, these aspects to it are, as we did talk about last time, adaptive, mm-hmm. right? And they, they're, they're learned, they're innate to who you are, they're inherited. Like they have all of these things are sort of wrapped up on, on the inside. And so I think my point in, in, in bringing all of this up is that not only, and, you know, and sort of, I have learned a lot in the last few weeks, just from my own, you know, from my eyes, seeing people go through their own process, which maybe is why I'm, my stance has changed a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that like, it is, it is a process that is, you know, maybe multifaceted, multifaceted in a way that maybe I was unaware of before. And I'm just sort of like diving even deeper into it as I sort of so allow an, myself an to have evolving this concept in your mind or something like that. It's yeah. Without a doubt. Growing and expanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, is the problem, cause this comes up in our Chinese medical world too. Um, I studied this sort of, uh, there's a Chinese medical pulse diagnostic system. Doesn't matter for our podcast, but the guy who's associated with this is this guy named Dr. Leon Hammer. And he was a child psychiatrist before he was a traditional Chinese medical person. And one of his ideas that comes through is you can develop ways of like, integrating into the world of relating to the world mm-hmm. that at the time are functional you mm-hmm. know at a certain time they work yeah so maybe that becomes your existential guardian operating system at some point right yeah, yeah. but at a later date that's no longer functional that's what i'm yeah that's and maybe what I'm you're even talking about that kind of like you're almost talking about that historically or something yes maybe certain aspects of this were functional when you were living in a certain kind of community setting or something like that but mm-hmm. when the situation changes then this way of even being in the world isn't uh isn't going to work anymore and make much a problem something like that yep Mm -hmm. that's exactly what i'm saying that's exactly what i'm saying and so this this idea then is i think part of who part of all of the part of growth for everybody i you know a sort of and we're going to talk about it right identifying it Mm -hmm. or you know investigation and identification these two eyes that we talked about at the end of last episode is inherent to the growth of 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 sentient beings basically right it's looking at these conscious and unconscious processes or programs if you will because we like to use this hardware software kind of thing right these these sort of programs that are that are latent in us within us that we have developed first of all and that maybe even more importantly the harder ones to get to are the ones that we didn't develop the ones that were handed to us 
and then yeah, have been handed about last week. Then, in some ways, I think in uh, psychology, you say this is kind of like unconscious almost. Yes. Yeah, a lot of things are happening, especially when you're young. You're not really, really fully conscious that you're inheriting these things. That's what you're talking about. In some yeah. ways. And maybe mm-hmm. even maybe even more than that, maybe it's genetic. You yeah, know, yeah, maybe, yeah. <clears throat> maybe there are some things that are just that that have been so ingrained for the last 10, 15, 20, 25 generations. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, that's what you believe. And I have to say, like, you know, from my point of view, you know, it's more of a Buddhist, Taoist, Zen minded person that. That's not as much in my wheelhouse. That's probably sure. a little bit more in your wheelhouse, which is fine. You know, for me, I don't tend to think about like the genetic programming being so overwhelmingly dominating or something like that. Right. But I think that's just, and I wouldn't, I'm not going to like uh, have a big argument about it. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I'm just like, okay, my reaction to that in part would be like, well, I don't know if I think about it entirely in that way, but that's cool, you know. I hear what you're saying. There's a part of me that like, mm, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't vibe as me as easy as it does with you, but that's cool. It's a, it's a point that like, you're never going to be able to prove nor disprove. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, I think the, the, the larger point is to say it's deep in the subconscious, whether that subconscious is floating in the cloud and gets put into the mind, you know, that went upon, you know, birth or conception or however, however you look at life, you know, whatever, um, or it's already in the coding of the structure and you just get it, you know, and therefore you have to interact with it. It doesn't really matter. Six of one half dozen of the other. It's there, you know, regardless it's there. And I don't know that unless you're looking for it, consciously looking for it, I don't know that you're going to find it. But what you're basically talking about in the end is you're talking about the process of like self-reflection where you use these two eyes, right? To Mm -hmm. kind of go back and look and say, okay, let me at least become self-aware enough to look at things in an identification way and I'll dig deeper into what this is. Yes. So I need to have the self-awareness to identify. And then I need to have a little bit more of the perseverance and, and uh, uh, continuation of the idea to like really investigate the whole thing. So I can start to understand how this part of me works. That's what you're truly trying to say. That's it. But that's like the theme of like our whole uh, podcast too. (laughs) It is right. You want to go back and you want to like look closely at who you are. It is. And those things that are good, keep, and those things that are non-functional, uh, bit of do. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. But the difference is that when, you, when you're taking something from a particular standpoint of, uh, when you're from a particular point of view, and then you can put tools on it, right? Because a lot of the, the, the difficult part but is- You're trying to put language and tools on something that will become mental um, form. helpers, right? to be able to do this yeah yeah Mm -hmm. trying to create form onto things that don't necessarily have form but are totally there and that are form ish yeah yeah right Mm -hmm. so that's why so we so we talked about the egos right or our egos Mm -hmm. and then you know the ways to to kind of like work through them or work with it and then you know as you've mentioned as we kind of been mentioning the first step into that is uh investigation Ah, and this and the the form of investigation is what you're is what we is what you're mentioning now and what we've mentioned numerous times but in this context, it fits, I think, quite well. And the investigation part is, is this self, is the self-reflection, whether that self-reflection comes through uh, forms of meditation, whether that self-reflection comes through journaling, whether that, you know, you talked about how, how deep it was for you to get your head shrunk when you were in yeah, college, sure. you know, using mm-hmm. psychology, something like this, whether it comes through artwork or some other form of self-expression or being in nature and just able to connect to the environment in a different kind of a way, you know, however that comes, all of those things come with space. You need space for all of them, you know, mental or physical. And I think, you know, as we, as we move into the the contemporary sort of like tangible parts for people, one thing that people don't have now much of is space actually. And for various reasons, there's a lot more of us now than there were before. There's a lot more demands on our time, but that when we have open moments of, you know, quote unquote, open moments of time, what do we do with that time? We grab our precious, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. then, and I'm holding the phone for those who are listening to on, on, on audio, you know, we grab our precious and we're like Smeagol, you know, yeah. my, my precious, you know, <laughs> and so like that, 
that time for daydreaming, that time for like in between thoughts and, you know, being productive or whatever gets completely eliminated unless you actively go out of your way to do that. And if you can't find the time for that, you'll never be able to find. And I, and I don't like to say, say the word never, but I don't know how someone will find the time to to discover unconscious processes. I, I don't know how that's going to happen if you don't make the time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's the, that's the investigative part. Let me give you a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to have like, uh, um, anyways, I'm rolling with it. You're kind of going with the idea of like, uh, it, it's going to take an act of like proactivity to do this or something like that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Proactive reflection through whatever yeah. medium is natural for, for the person. And allowing the space to do that. And if you need to make, take steps away from things that are your kind of crutches of your distractions and things, you yes. have to be able to like, confront those things so that's like that's been like one of your uh issues and points of bitching about since the very first episode we ever did Mm -hmm. even talking about i'll hold it up to the phone these little devices yeah no like the whole time what a problem they are and you of course Mm -hmm. you're right yeah Mm -hmm. so that's that's the that's the investigative part and the investigative part is just simply doing the doing the looking doing the looking right until you talk about you know breaking you know breaking habits or we can even call them like you know addictions to some things right that we have in our life that they create this energetic loop between us and that thing and the behavior that goes around it that just keeps us in a loop and not able to kind of break away so to be able to to look at all these things critically and say okay you know where what do i have going on inside of me right now and then the other part of then the identification part right and that's the labeling of the thing right and labels aren't always like good because you know, okay, you're labeled an addict and you're all once an addict, always an addict. Oh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Like, well, I guess, but you're okay. Like you're not drinking right now. So you're good. You know, we don't have to call you a recovering alcoholic for the actually like a friend of the show and personal friend of mine, Justin Key. Mm. We had an interesting conversation yesterday because he's really into the same thing that you were talking about earlier. He's really interested in how technology and social media affect people. Yeah. What a fucking train wreck it's been. (laughs) You know, it's been so bad. And it was funny because I've known him for a long time. And like, if we went back to our younger years, when he and I knew each other in undergrad, he had this, I'm slightly going tangent, but I'll, I'll make sure we pull it back. Sure. But, you know, um, he had a little bit of that, like sort of techno utopianism about him. And we were talking about that yesterday. Um, and I was saying, well, what do you, what would older you say back to younger you about this? Because it was part of that whole thing. We'll have this internet space. And cyberspace will be this free world. And, you know, um, it's going to be this, uh, uh, you know, kind of alternate reality utopia of equality. <laughs> and it like turned out not to be that way at all. And not only did it turn out not to do it, but it turned out to be really bad for people, like crazy yeah. bad. So he's like, was sending me some of these stats, which I'm familiar with from this Jonathan Haidt, of just how destructive this social media has been, especially on kids. It's just like yeah. horrible for them. You know, and uh, we've alluded to it at different times during some of the episodes, like self-harm and suicide rates, yeah. especially amongst girls are like yeah. crazy. And you can just like clearly trace it back to like 2012 or something, you know, as the social media availability through the devices got to be more ubiquitous, you know, kids just slid more and more. And I'm getting to this point where a lot of, of the self-identification thing. And how you can labor yourself wrong. He was just telling me about this, which I had never heard of, but these little sub communities within the social media sphere where people kind of label their illnesses and like cling to them in this, you know, like they're, I guess they're like support groups, but really not. But you kind of label yourself as like a a major depression person. That's your diagnosis. And you grasp this diagnosis and you hold on to it so strong. Mm. And uh, I mean, he was just like basically bemoaning how hard it's going to be then to treat people for depression because you're identifying as a depressed person. Mm. What are you going to do? It's like, it's your self-identity now, right? Yeah. Claiming an identity is this diagnosis or something. So anyways, I don't know. Yeah, um, I think that the only to two of the things you were talking about, I guess the identifying it's kind of persona. I don't know how it fits into the ego's idea. And then also the, obviously the damaging effects of these fucking games yeah. that destroy. Yeah, I think, you know, part of the, the discriminating ones uh, diagnosis can be a source of support with other people who have similar things. They don't feel like they're alone, but I can totally, I could totally see the point of like, if you're identifying as that thing 
as opposed to you, mm-hmm. then 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 that is you. Yeah, you know, and that and then you have to break away from that. And then when you do that, then where are you? Who are you at that point? You know, I guess a desperation to find identity there too, or something. It's a different, for sure. different way of using your word. Uh-huh. And so that's yeah. the whole point of this is this is the identification part, right? Uh-huh. And the identification portion is like, okay, I have constructs that are currently residing with inside of me, right? And maybe they come out at certain points and I could say, oh, I get reactive when someone doesn't say hello when I say hello to them. And this is a thing for me. This is a real thing. You know, like oh, if yeah, I you- say <laughs> hello to somebody, I don't get reactive. Like, what the hell? What? You know, but like, I'm like, if I greet somebody at a store or something like that, I'm like, and they don't say anything. I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. yeah. you know what I'm saying? So that's a thing. But that's recognizable. I don't have to spend you know, hours a day in meditation to know that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like traffic, the traffic doesn't bother me at all, though. I, I don't have zero that's, road rage. We joking with the traffic because that's the example they always use in these spiritual circles. You're stuck in, stuck in traffic. That's, that's, I hate like, that example. And yeah, not, <laughs> not a thing too. You know, but like, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's an example. It's, and you're, it's right because people probably have this kind of frustration so much, right? In adults treat the liver, like we've said numerous times now, you know? Yeah, yeah um people get angry at adult life you know so so you don't have to spend a lot of time in meditation to know that there are things that bother you right mm-hmm. that's not the identification part that's the investigation part right mm-hmm. the identification is for me is the deeper aspects when someone will say um oh hey you looked at me funny one day when i said this thing and then you didn't even know you did it yeah. Then it gets brought to your attention and now you realize, oh, I didn't, you know, there's all this kind of unconscious stuff that happens without us being aware of it. And so now you can start to say, oh, I'm just, I'm reacting and not in like a triggered state, like, oh my God, you know, not like this, mm-hmm. just, it's more subtle, right? But you're trying to figure out these deeper processes that are, that are occurring in addition to the gross ones. But I, I feel like it's these, the deeper ones that are underneath the current, you know, that are just underneath the level of our normal consciousness that cause the ripples that create the waves that that affect our persona or that end up being the sort of like egoic uh, manifestation of our defensive mechanisms, you know, for whatever those might be for people. So what do you think? Like if you do the investigation identification, then is it the awareness itself that just is going to kind of undo these things? I think Freud, Freud has this saying about like making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. That's kind of like his motto. You could put it on a t-shirt or something if you want yeah. to like summarize his thing. So is that what you're kind of talking about here too? That you, once you become more and more aware, you can start to break these things apart. I think so. And, and the reason, and there's a couple, there's a couple of reasons behind it. I don't think it's automatic. Like, oh, there it is. I put a flashlight on it. Now it's gone. They're not cockroaches, you know, like they're going to go somewhere else. Right. But the thing is, you're only going to find these things out if you have a desire to do that. So it's the desire to to do the penetration that once it gets in there, then it starts to like change the color of the water or change the, you know, spin at the top. If you want to use a different example that allows that to happen and, and your awareness and not, not just plain awareness, but the awareness with desire to improve or to change for the better, you know, in kind of like a compassionate way, Right, because you're wanting to be a better being for not just other people, but also for yourself. Because why would you want to react in a way that you didn't have some influence over? Right, it mm-hmm. doesn't. It doesn't seem like a a good thing to do in life. Um, and so this kind of thing changes it. And if and if you do hold, as we've talked about numerous times, because we are a you know highly inf- Buddhist influenced podcast, you know the the idea of like compassion being, I guess, like the wind in your sails that when you're doing that drilling essentially that's the that's the wind that's pushing that drill you know is the betterment for yourself and to be better in in your group of human beings that you share with whether it be your family your friends or otherwise that does have to be buddhist obviously that's christian and sure and everybody Mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right let me throw out uh, more you want to add on to that before i like okay Let me throw this. Does that out. make sense? I mean, does that does that seem? Yeah, I, what I get in the end of it really is I get the idea like it's kind of like putting um, uh, words and concepts and things that are kind of accessible mm-hmm. onto these processes. I think that's the underlying goal. Yeah, right? that's exactly Let's right. Let's make it like okay. Here's a little phrase: egos, existential guardian operating system. What would that mean actually? Let's put that idea out there. 
Now let's think of what that would mean. Some of that might be things where you're like uh, responding negatively to things, right? Mm -hmm. And it's habitual. So let's look at that. Why am I defending myself in this way? Mm -hmm. Why is this operating system like misbehaving? You know, other times you could even say, well, I don't have to be that hard on myself. Maybe there's ways in which this thing has done me benefit. Mm -hmm. So let me treat that with some compassion too. Mm -hmm. I can be compassionate to this thing. And then you get to the investigation and identify parts. And you're saying like, okay, this is a useful, just little like uh, toolkit, a little heuristic, you know, to kind of capture this process, right? What am I trying to really do? I'm trying to do a two-step thing. I'm first trying to like look at myself and recognize the things are there. And then I want to investigate. I want to dig deeper into this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So anyways, yeah, yeah. You know, you're like, you're describing it in a way that can be accessible so that, uh, uh, yeah, people can internalize it and uh, and do it more easily, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, does that make sense of what you're trying to say, Daniel? Yeah, no, I think it's a good it's a good good summary. Okay, so let me throw out <laughs> this just happens to be going on. So, especially one person I really love and care about, but people I love and care about, uh, you know, are having these ex experiences in the psych world, you know, and so some of this is related back to psychology. Obviously, we started this. And a lot of psychological con concepts of what you're putting out here too. So I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been having conversations with people about it. And I've been self-reflecting too on this and trying to figure out what I think, how I think this works. Okay, let me throw it out. And then you let me know how you think it identifies, like how it feeds back with what you've been talking about. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I had interesting conversations in the past week there's one guy I know who's going back and he's doing his psychology, like he's seeing a psychologist for the first time in his life, right? Already kind of in his 40s. So I was like, this is interesting, right? Because I did this kind of in my 20s. I was just in a different stage of my life or something. And he's reflecting back on sort of his childhood and kind of thinking about how these things maybe got formed, which I think is part of what you're talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. This is sort of what you might call fancily ideology. Where do things yeah. come from, right? So he's kind of trying to reflect back and then I'm like, that's cool. And so he's talking about his relationship with his dad and these things. And obviously he's seeing a psychologist and running through this. And this is good, right? And when I was going through this myself, I guess I would look at this ego's part as kind of like a little peeling an onion. Sometimes the way it feels or something. Yeah. You start peeling back and you start looking, okay, what's actually there? You know, I'm going to take a more focused eye not critical in the in the negative sense, but critical in like uh, an investigatory sense like mm -hmm. per your language to see what's actually there. Yeah. Let me really look at myself more deeply. And it has this like onion peeling thing. And I think there's there was good in that for me when I was doing this, again, I had my beloved psych mentor, Michael, and we were doing this together. Um, but then what really hit me, and I've been trying to talk about this, and again, I don't know how it fits exactly into your idea, but you can tell me what you think. Where at a certain point, I realized like it wasn't like pulling an onion apart anymore. It was much more like there was some truer version of myself that wanted to come out. And that was the problem, you know? And it like built up all of this, you know, internal, I guess we'd probably say yang if we were going to do yin yang stuff, but internal pressure and this internal thing right. of wanting to like express who I was, right? That's how I was really feeling. And it like things had shifted and it wasn't so much like I wanted to go back into my past and figure out like where this one come from or where did that one come from? Something different was happening. Yeah. It was more like, no, there's a version of like a more authentic version of me that wanted to come out. Right. And to me, that was the much more like important psychological moment in my life. If I were to think about it in the psychological part, right. My psychological experiences, that was when it got really meaningful. Now, maybe you can't get to that until you start taking this stuff apart to get to the point where this other thing will start to express itself. Maybe that's possible. But I've wondered about it a lot. And I could I was remembering back what it was like to go through and do these psychological experiences where you're kind of like reliving some of the most nasty shit of your entire life. Yeah. So when anyone's who ever done this has ever done this, you kind of can relate to this. You go and you're sitting there and you're thinking about like the worst shit that's ever happened to you. Mm -hmm. and you're talking about it and i can remember sometimes just leaving like in a fucking daze just completely like disoriented and mm -hmm. almost i was talking with somebody earlier about it and you know almost like dissociated mm -hmm. like you were like in some dissociative state you were in some kind of weird ass fugue state and you'd like stumble into the subway and i'd go down and like be sitting in like some bench waiting for my train to come just like Ugh. 
because <laughs> it was like the worst things that ever happened. And there was probably a value in that. But it's, in my reflecting back, I've been thinking about it a lot. I think where it really happened, where it got interesting was more like when this expressive part of myself started to come out. And I realized, no, what really is happening here is a truer version of myself wants to emerge mm. and wants to come out. And I think I associated ultimately with Zen. I think that was part of the reason why I got interested in Zen. Because I started to realize, okay, no, this is going to be some part of me that wants to come out and it's much more a truer reflection and it's uh, much less kind of like inhibited or maybe much, much less kind of repressed or something and it wants to come out in this natural way. Sure. So maybe that naturally fits into this ego's thing that there's some tension within this. But I thought I would throw it out to you just because yeah. that's what's been going on in my mind. You know, talking with people who are sincerely, sincerely going through this, one person I love very much going through this and really thinking, okay, what's happening with them now? What, you know, how is this, what's this experience like now for them going through this psychology, probably challenging sure. this existential guardian operating system. And like reflecting back on my experience and going, no, the most meaningful things was when some, uh, the thing that was curative, I would say that actually like produced the cure was the expressive part when it actually was like, no, there's some other version of me that wants to pop out. Right. That was the thing that was the cure. Not the digging around, ripping stuff apart, though maybe that's a necessary process, mm -hmm. but that wasn't the cure. Anyways, I thought I'd throw it out to you and just see how it fits into how you think about this and you can take this wherever you want to go. Well, I think that like both have to be, so in order to have the defense, you know, you, so we, we look at this thing, right? We're saying it's a, it's a defense system, right? It's a guardian, it's guarding something. Well, what's it guarding? Is it guarding itself? Like we talked about last episode a little bit. It's guarding itself for its own self-preservation. Yeah, that'd yeah. Be probably a very spiritual idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it, is it guarding the the structure, the function, the being, right? For for its own rep reproduction, reproductive purposes? Yeah, that makes sense. That's why we're here as a species. Okay. Is it guarding anything else? And possibly. And then I think what that other thing would be is the deepest aspect of what you're talking about right? Who it is that you are. And so we we have these kind of, what do you want to call them? Nervous systems, right? And so we have this kind of like I, I aspects of ourselves that are geared towards fighting if there's an issue and there's an idea of running if there's an issue, you know? And that's how we sort of manage things a little bit, right? And there's, there's more subtleties to it than that, but from, you know, fight or flight is generally understood. Fight, in, flight, or freeze or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is kind of like understood in the normal lexicon language of people, generally speaking, you know? But that like, that's what it is that, that it's defending. So its job is to preserve the being, i.e. preserve the localized phenomenon that is Eric, that is Daniel, that is all of our listeners, right? That's the, because without this, then the other thing isn't here. Also, I mean, it's around somewhere, but it's not here in the way that it is now. So there's a, like we've said before, there's an aspect to it. And I think then that like, as somebody has this, whether, whether that spark comes from the inside or the outside, I can't say, I don't know, maybe it depends on the person's story, but there is a desire to like have greater internal harmony, right? So that the being that you're talking about, this natural state of being can act in a more authentic way. Right. We talk about authenticity all the time. And I think that's where it comes for me. This is how I feel like that's where it comes from. So it has to do that. And that's the thing that's doing the work. That's the thing that's like, hey, click, 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 click. You know, I don't feel that way. But if someone said that they saw me, they saw my body do this. Well, then this my body and me are doing something that I'm unaware of. OK, well, now mm -hmm. I have to figure that shit out because that's not who I want to be. Right. Same thing. Someone says something to me that I don't like and I just snap back at him. Hey, shut your face, you know, or whatever. Right. Oh, well, that's not me either. I don't want to react like that. Why did I just do that? Now I have to go in and do the in investigative part so that I can be my most authentic, natural self. And for me, like the identification of this thing, the, of the, the ego system, and then this investigation and identification is a means of like the self unbearing or, or unburdening itself with things that are inherent in incarnation, actually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a kind of like a survival part to what you're, you kind of like allude back to that yeah, you need this. Yeah. I can remember like uh, the Zen master I studied with, Hosokawa Roshi, was like, you need some part of this. Otherwise, you just walk in the traffic and get hit by a truck. Exactly. <laughs> you need something that functions in this way that allows you to like 
continue to like be viable as an organism in the in the environment around you right yes. mm -hmm. yeah um sometimes i guess in chinese medicine for people who are some of our chinese medicine people you might associate this with like the po or something like yeah. that yeah so um it's like a part of the consciousness the part of the nature of the person right that does this work right yeah yeah um so what do you think of the idea of like the thing underneath like i'm i'm I, again, I don't know. I'm thinking about this kind of deep, you know, and I'm watching people going back into their roots and like searching around their histories, looking at like how what happened in their families of origins impacted them yeah. and tracing back these stories. And I'm thinking, okay, obviously that has value. You know, that's a useful thing to do, right? And it's part of what you're talking about in your uh, investigate and identify, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about this thing um, that you can see the origins of things. But again, it's just been like in my mind a lot because I'm thinking when I really look back on it in my own experience of this, and it's like, was was it curative to go back and, you know, trace the roots of why I have certain personality things and all that back to my family of origin? There probably was some value in that. But the thing that was really important was this, I guess, kind of like unrepressing, you know? Yeah. So maybe this egos thing can become an, an, an apparatus of repression or something. Yeah, but the, the the psychologists that I guess ultimately kind of appealed to me were the ones that kept pointing out like if you repress who you are, if you repress who you really are, this is going to fuck your shit up. Yeah, those are the ones that really spoke to me. Whether that was like I suppose in Freud it's like repressing things that have to do with sexuality. Okay, for what that's worth, right? But in Jung it's kind of like repressing who you are as a spiritual being. If you mm -hmm. repress that, if mm -hmm. you repress your maybe true. Um, uh, feelings desires you know a truer version of yourself and more like a carl rogers these are the people i kind of love you know even then wilhelm reich who we're, i think we're going to talk about these people a little bit when we do our relationship episode so this is a bit of foreshadowing but you know he talks about the idea that like, you have natural feelings you want to like do creative activity you want to love you want to connect if those things aren't allowed to express themselves in a normal way they go toxic right but yeah yeah and yeah, so, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of the ways in which we limit ourselves often is unconscious. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, mm -hmm. and so the way the way through the way out is through the only way out is through really. And so I think it's like, to, you know, the, the question you're asking, like that's it's the self, the deeper aspect of the self, right? The, the authentic one that wants to express itself in the most natural way. That's the one that's doing that's the one that's pushing. Hey, these things are limiting the inside. Yeah. Yeah. That's, put, yeah. It's, it's, these things are limiting me. You don't even realize it. You know, look at how, look, it's, I'm not able to be me because when, when we act, what comes out is not what the response that you're wanting. You're always being misunderstood. Well, you're I like definitely can remember that feeling. There's some disconnect between yeah. who I really am and what's coming out. There's yeah. something not matching. No. Uh, an existential operating gar existential guardian operating system yeah something like that was happening yeah but i suppose the bigger thing I, i'm throwing it out because it's just been in my mind yeah, lately sure. you know and it does relate back to this subject yeah what i started to think was is it really the thing of like because i'm thinking a lot about how psychology works too i'm the, you know i'm watching people yeah. go through it and i'm like well all i can say is from my own experience what happened was i made this little flip and i started i can remember trying to describe it to people at the time going yeah there's some part of me that wants to come out you know and uh, there's like a zen quote about what it feels like to um swallow like a a, a hot iron filing mm. <laughs> so you have this feeling of something burning inside of you that wants to come out yeah you know? that sounds the weird metaphor but you know like there's something that wants to burn its way out that was the switch and I think that what happened, and that whether this adds to the conversation and the way that we're having about this ego's concept, was I began to go like, well, let me identify those parts of this ego thing, the way I thought about it, that are not allowing this to come out. That became kind of the switch, you know, that that became important. You know, some parts of this existential guardian operating system, maybe they're okay, but some parts aren't allowing this to express out. And it got more focused. That was my, I guess, identify, identify and investigate experiences. Yeah. There's some parts of this that are going to hold my shit back. And let me go back and look at these specifically and try to take those parts of this system 
So then the things that want to flow out can flow out. Yeah. And it was interesting. It was it sort of had to do with a lot with a certain kind of expressiveness and spontaneity. And then, that, then it became like, I knew what I felt. It was very clear. You know, I wasn't confused about what I felt and uh, about the people around me or the circumstances I was in or what I want to do. Like it got much more clear. It clarified out miraculously. So there'll still be problems and you might still have to make decisions that were, you know, not always the easiest, you know, is this the exact right way to pursue my career? Or, you know, is this the exact right relationship, whatever. But as far as understanding who I was, it got very clear. Yeah. And then internally, I was super clear. And then it was just a question of like, well, what can I do in my environment? you know, to express this. So what do you think of all that? Does that fit into the way you're thinking about it too? Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, I think starting from where you where you were kind of picking up, you were asking like, is it necessary to go back and look at all the various inputs on your life and do this sort of history, historical digging, you know, personal narrative kind of uh, recapitulation as they yeah, call yeah. it in the Castaneda books, right? I think some of that is necessary actually. You know, to be able to look at your life and, you know, maybe not necessarily go through every grueling detail because that would take as long as we're alive. (laughs) So that's probably not going to be a thing. Cost benefit analysis isn't going to pay off. Yeah, not going to pay off. By the time you get it, it's going to be too late, you know, Mm -hmm. but to also look at like the larger influences that everybody, the archetypal influences that we have right from our guardians, whoever those are. Right. And I use that word on purpose you know, mm-hmm. to look at who the, look at who that is, who they are and their influences on us and our relationships with them. And then our relationships with our close knit community, brothers, sisters, maybe cousins, close friends, so on and so forth growing up, our relationships romantically, friendship or otherwise growing up, our relationships with authority, subordinates, uh, colleagues, you know, growing up and look at all these, you know, influences on trauma, physical, emotional, or otherwise, you know, you could kind of do this and see how you reacted based on your earliest memories of things, and then look at some other pieces and then say, okay, are are there aspects that were carried forth, you know, and, and do I want, and then that is my adapt, that is the adaptation portion of our egos, right? Do I want that? further do i want that now is that what i want moving forward and if the answer is yes change nothing it'll continue but the answer is no if the answer is no then you're almost it's almost required i think to try and find the nexus point in which you made some agreement with yourself on that this is the right way to be for me for right now and then that was never changed later and only became, it was successful once and it said, okay, I'll try it again. Oh, worked again. Try it again. Oh, it keeps working. It might as well get better. And that just gets buried deeper, deeper, and deeper. And so then once you're able to kind of pull, not everything, but at least some of these things, then I think the sort of, you become a little bit more freer. The self becomes a little bit more freer. And then the higher psychological that we talked about low and high Christologies before. And if you've been listening to our show for a while, you'll, you'll kind of know you know, what we've talked about, but the sort of higher aspects of yourself, of the actual, you know, the the capital S self will be drawn towards different philosophies of thought and of being that what that will sort of mirror what it believes itself to ourselves to be and can kind of come out more naturally and authentically in those states. But I think the untangling of our stories is very important. Because that's essentially who we are and being able to see it as detached from feeling as in like in the body feeling and seeing it on a piece of paper or using another human being as a mirror to kind of say, okay, like, like you do, like we do now. Okay, Daniel, here's what I'm hearing. Is this correct? Right? This sort of active open listening, right? Quote, unquote, a safe space, but it's not just safe in that like, I feel like I can speak. It's it's important that I'm actually heard and and it's regurgitated back to me so that I know that what I'm saying is being heard. And if not, then I have the opportunity to change it because my narrative in my head is not the way that I'm feeling it to be. And now I have the opportunity to correct it, but I have that because I've gone back and done that before. And I know what that process is like, you know what I'm saying? So untangling, and then with that space that you've created from untangling the inside being whatever it is, can start of can come out and be attracted to whatever in life karmically perhaps it wants to wants to in, you know express itself through does that sort of vibe yeah 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 mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I guess I'm like, you know, we like to be personal in this yeah. and experiential. So maybe I'm in a funny situation in that I had this psych mentor experience and I really dug, like it wasn't like, uh, it was years of doing this, you know? Yeah. Because I had a, someone who was really kind and like extended that help to me. And, and I'll talk about maybe in future episodes, well, we'll be talking about this all the time, but even when we do the relationship ones that are coming up, I'll share a little bit specific of how he helped me uh, so specifically. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just the idea that like, I went through that and then I also went through this early parts of my Zen training. Yeah. And you were talking about like the body keeps the score. Yeah. Kind of, you were talking about that with trauma and stuff, maybe in the previous episode, a couple of weeks ago related to the same thing. And so like in the Zen place where I was, they did really deep body work, kind of related back kind of to rolfing. If people are familiar with that, it's just a really aggressive, somewhat painful, let's be <laughs> honest, <laughs> pretty fucking painful, but worth the pain. I think no pain, no gain kind of body work, you know, definitely not like uh let's pamper you. It was, it was aggressive. So I knew what it felt like to get like my body kind of gone over with this very deep, um, very deep kind of body work that was specifically oriented around probably digging up trauma in ways. Right. Yeah. So I did that too. I did the physical side. So I was like, okay, I get it. And, um, and then I was doing this Zen and I suppose what I got in the end, but I guess what I'm trying to throw into the conversation and I'm glad it took this turn, right. Cause we're exploring different parts of this concept was after going through all of that, that was probably the tearing a part of the ego part. You know, sure. that was the challenging part. That was the I and I part that you were talking about. Yeah. And the only thing I guess I wanted to add to the conversation, just because it's been coming up in my life. I'm thinking about this deeply with people that I care about, right? People that I really love where I'm going, okay, yeah, that's part of a process. The other part was this discovery of this other thing. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite psychologists, Carl Rogers calls it the self-actualizing principle. Yeah but you could call it your Buddha nature if you wanted to, and it would be just as legit. You could call it um, your inner Tao if you wanted to be Taoist or something, right? You could call it your original spirit. You call it whatever, like any of those words will, will work fine for this, mm -hmm. right? And like, it was the discovery of that. That was the moment for me, right? It was partially, I think, the challenging of the existential guardian operating system, how it worked. There's also discovering this other part. So I just wanted to throw that into the conversation too, because yeah. that I think was the thing that spoke most deeply. And I've really been thinking about it a lot, like in the past few weeks, again, looking at people that I deeply love and care about going through this process, thinking, well, what was this really like for me? And trying to recollect back for me going through it. Of course, everyone's going to go through their own yeah. story. You know, we all have our own tales to tell and our own past to walk and our own, uh, we're all on our own trip, Ram Das. That's right. <laughs> So we're all on our own trip. Okay, cool. But I was trying to go back and say, yeah, this was the big thing as much as anything else. And I don't even think that for my psych mentor, Michael, he even necessarily even saw it that way. But I did, you know, and that naturally became a tool that said, okay, I'm going to be a Zen Taoist Buddhist Tantrika. That's what I'm going to be, right? Because I'm going to, I'm like, found this part and this is what wants to express. And then it changed my way. I thought, as I was saying earlier, about this existential guardian operating system, because that became a question of, well, let me identify the parts of this that are holding me back. And that was a different story. Mm. It wasn't just like tracing back to my roots, looking where things came from. Um, and I do have the concern that that could go on for a long time. You know, I do have that concern a little bit. And I, I mean, maybe I even experienced some of that. I was like, if it was just that, and this other part wasn't found, I know maybe it wouldn't have been the success for story that I felt that it ultimately was. So anyways. Mm. I really got a couple of minutes left. Let me throw one other thing out to you and then we'll wrap the episode, I guess. Yeah. You know, the other part came like that struck me about this was kind of about freedom. So the, one of the people I'm really interested in, in my, my interest of the now <laughs> is the great existentialist philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre. And he makes this point, which is kind of slippery and we could probably do multiple podcasts on it. But what he basically says is that you're more free than what you think. So part of when you really investigate and you look, what you'll realize is there's a kind of a level of freedom that's almost a little bit scary, a little bit anxiety inducing, maybe even. But when you really look at it, like you're more free. And I just wanted to just throw that out to see what you think about this, Daniel, because part of this 
ego's idea is that there's unconscious factors that are dictating that we're not aware of, which I think is true, right? What I think he's adding to the conversation, this idea that if you stop in a moment by moment way, there's a kind of a freedom there, right? You really don't have to do certain things if you don't want to, if you really take the step and think about it, you can actually, you have more freedom than even what you think you have, mm -hmm. you know? And it's just a question of you recognizing that. And um, I was talking about this with some people too. And I was like, there's something, it creates a weird psychological effect too. And maybe that relates back to the existential guardian operating system in a way too. It's a moment of like stepping back and saying, well, okay, this thing wants to function maybe in some semi-automatic way right? Not like a, ch -ch 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 -ch, but like it's functioning in this automatic mm -hmm. way without you really even being totally aware of it. But if you take a step back and you distance yourself, you realize, oh, I do have more freedom. And just that realization creates a kind of, you were using the word space earlier, a kind of a space that allows you to put a little distance. You realize, no, I have a lot more freedom than what I think I do. And I don't have to feel like I'm being dictated to by these sort of automatic things. If sure. I really ask myself, honestly, there's a freedom that I have that maybe I'm not even really fully aware of and maybe even would be scary or intimidating. But if I like take it on, you know, it will, it's uh, it's enlightening, I guess. Right. Dalai Lama yeah. talks this way too. It's interesting. Dalai Lama says a yeah, part of Buddhist thought is that you do have freedom. Even if you feel like you don't, you do, you know, you're not being dictated just by genetic factors and right. uh, things from your past and you know that like you really take a step moment by moment, there is a freedom there in each moment. That you have i know what do you think about that and i mean that that relates into this that thing? that's uh there's a book called the power of now by eckhart tolle that that's yeah. the entire uh gist the entire pitch that's the entire pitch it's just and warmed over sart then he got a whole million, career out of that millions of copies sold and a whole career and spiritual teaching based off that i you know that right there just a that. little bit of sart okay mm -hmm. but i mean that's no i mean but that's that's what it is you know that's what he's saying and and you know, I I think it it's true. I think it's I think it's true. The, I think on one level there there's that reality, and then in a functional level, as we're sort of interacting, that's there. But then it's dis but then it disappears in communion, the habituation of thing or something like that. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So if one can find this, that's why I talked you know early on in the discussion about having space for oneself to do that. Right. So whether that be a meditative practice or being in nature, or journaling or create, you know, artwork, music, whatever it is for someone's creative thing, you know, or being whatever it is, your space for being right, not being attached to something, not being part of a habit that you give yourself the opportunity then to be in the moment, actually, the real moment, the full moment, because there's nothing to pull at your sort of knee-jerk reactions or there's nothing to to activate your your operating system your your existential guardian operating system there's nothing to do all of that so your own discomfort in that moment is is you you know and the things that you have been through and whatnot and you know there's this idea that and Gabor Mate mentions it in his book and I've heard it in other books it's like they say trauma is not something that happened to you but something that you that lives within you after that trauma and yeah, maybe that's true on some level, but someone, if somebody has some deep shit that happened to them, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, oh yeah, you're carrying it around with you. Let it go. Move on with your life. Like, you know, it's not for me to say what someone's process is with their own processing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I can agree in one level that like the moment by moment uh, space for yourself is free of affliction. So long as that it, you're not actively grabbing onto it and holding it, whether it's conscious or unconscious. But I think that there is a magnetic sort of attract attractiveness to things that we have experienced in our life that tend to follow our mind streams around and are never quite that far away. However, in in the in the space of the mind, even an infinitesimal small amount of room is an infinite fathom to be able to cross when letting something go on a positive or negative sense, right? If you do let it go, a millimeter is a thousand light years. And mm -hmm. if you don't let it go, that millimeter, that a thousand light years is as close as a millimeter because you're, you're holding on to it so tightly. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, I, I think it's like, I don't even know if it's like power of now or something, but I think it's like, there are 
you know, you, you've, uh, you were down in Mexico doing the medicine and stuff. So, but I think there's also like intoxicating thoughts. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That affect your mind really deeply. And I guess what I got out of this SART thing is I've been really thinking about is it. like, yeah, that's an intoxicating thought. That's a powerful thought. It actually affects your consciousness just to like, think, wait a minute. I have more freedom in this moment than I think, you know, especially maybe in a situation where socioculturally people are really obsessed with like trauma in the past a lot. Yeah. Not that it's all bad. Well, a lot of it's good, but it is the vibe of the time. It know? is. It is the, here now for know, sure. You watch every Marvel movie or, you know, show and Daredevil is affected by trauma and he has to go back to his past and relive his trauma. There's a truth to it. You know, it's yeah. not like it's not true. And it's good to have a society that's waking up to the idea, maybe in like Dr. Mate's book to say like, oh yeah, we got to go back and we got to dig these things out, especially for people who have never had the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Beautiful. You know? Um, but there's also this other side, I guess, that I'm trying to like throw into the conversation, um, which is just, you know, we can take apart this egos thing, but then we also have to find something in ourselves. Yeah. That's the more transcendent part of ourselves, And then we also have to like, maybe have these moments of going, there's more freedom here. There's this intoxicating thought of this freedom. Yeah. You know, and if I can recognize that there's this freedom, I don't know, it changes something in your consciousness. Well, one of the things he mentioned maybe it's as powerful as a hallucinogen. Maybe it's as powerful. I don't know. Well, one of the things you know? he mentioned is that like the our our experiences are our our greatest teachers, you know, and to not yeah. push to not push them away and to not, you know, always keep them at bay, but to say, like, okay, you have knowledge for me in this life. What good, bad, or indifferent. You know, if I went through something, then that that means that that thing was for me. And so I have to like take it in and really do my work with it. And like, but once you, once you do your work with it, then you could, you should be able to not only see the negative side of this punch in the face from my, you know, third grade bully, you know, but to, to see the other, the the larger scale aspect of what was going on at that particular time, what role did I have in that? What can, is, can I extend compassion? It's a change in perspective, you know, that can allow you to sort of be free essentially and dance around that thing in a 360 degree circle, as opposed to only being caught on, you know, degree number seven or degree mm-hmm. number one, only being there. It's a very Sufi image because you dance the whole circle. You know? Right. Like, and so you're just, one place. so you're fixed, you know, mm-hmm. and to, to, to move that, that point of fixation and not be fixed, actually, to me, that's free. Like now I'm being free. You know, I don't, I I don't have to, you know sharing on the personal side of this, I'm going to say this from we, you know, this little relationship series that's going to be upcoming that I'm kind of in the process of prepping my parts of, but um, yeah, I mean, like you can go back and I was, you know, we were talking about this with looking back at our, our roots in sort of a shamanic sense, chasing, tracing things back since we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, I'm actually doing that <laughs> and I'll say that, but there is something interesting about it. Cause you start to realize, well, I thought this person caused me a lot of problems and they did. But actually, they also brought me a lot of these benefits, and you notice that, right? It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. The, the invaluable shift in perspectives. I I actually like this. I I want to. I'm going to make a note, Eric. Um, intoxicating thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think that I think we should. I, I mean, I don't. We're done with our conversation for now, but we're definitely not done. Yeah, you know. We're definitely. I, not- was, I was like talking with someone about this. You know, I was just explaining the SART thing, and I was going, "This thought's fucking intoxicating. Yeah, it does something to your mind. Yeah, you know, like it's um, uh, it's like a little drug or something. Yeah, and, and with a with a beneficial effect. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> you know? it's for sure. Yeah, it's and I think our our habit, you know, this goes to habit and addiction, which mm-hmm. become part part of our egos is is habituated. And so it's like, oh, I did it. It worked. 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 And I'm going to continue to do it because. It's working and I'm reinforcing myself. I guess part of his point was that it like, if there's a kind of a, it takes you away from a, potentially what could happen is if you're always blaming things back on your traumas and your egos and so on, you kind of distance yourself from the responsibility of what you actually have of your own freedom. I think that's his point somehow. Sure. You know, anyways, fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Well, that, right. And that's, and that's, you know, that was the part about uh, your, your experiences as your teachers. Mm-hmm, right that mm-hmm. they're there for they're there for and sometimes your teacher is a pain in the ass and sometimes your teacher is uh really good at giving you a good lesson and sometimes it's the same person yeah you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying yeah yeah so to not to not push you know to have them there and to work through them 
you and I are having fascinating parallel thoughts going on because I'm thinking the whole episode about like spontaneous expression action in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're kind of going through like, okay, so what built up this ego thing? And it's kind of two sides of the same conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody. It's been an interesting for... couple of weeks for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Always yeah. is, right? Um, thanks, everybody, for listening, for watching on YouTube or whatever else. I think it's only on YouTube. I'm not posting it anywhere else at this point. So, uh, for video, hello. Uh, if you're on audio, hi. <laughs> uh, what's up? If you're uh, checking us out on Instagram or hit us up on Instagram. I don't know. I don't got the best words today. Email us at ginandtantra at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, uh, like, subscribe, share. Everybody says it. I always said it once at the end. So, you know, don't don't berate me for it. Uh, if you're on Instagram, hit us up at uh, ginandtantra. Mm, yeah, ginandtantra at gmail.com. I'm Eric. That's Dan. Wait, no, I'm Daniel. I'm tired. That's how you know. I'm Daniel. That's Eric. We appreciate for uh, everybody for listening and, um, you know, supporting us, whether this is your first episode or your, you know, 400th. I don't know how many we've done, but we are uh, slowly approaching on three years of work together. So, yeah, chip um, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Very nice kind of like a freestyle stream of consciousness, freewheeling uh, episode today. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. fun. It's fun. Yeah. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Exactly. Uh catch up. We'll catch y'all on the next one. And, and uh I don't know, have a good day. We'll start, we'll, we'll try ending something different. Talk We're to supposed you to soon. say peace. Yeah, also <laughs> peace. <laughs> See ya. I want you to get together. I want you to get to get together. I want you to get together.